0: Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study. We post it each Wednesday evening at 6.30 Central Time here in the United States, and that's the exact time that we come together as the Sunny Slope Church of Christ for Wednesday night Bible classes at the building. We're thankful that we're able to spread God's word through the vast medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts to people in other parts of the area, as well as in the Omaha area, who want to be in God's Word. Now, we know that there are people who listen all across the country and literally around the world, but obviously, because of their location, they cannot be with us in person. But they want to know what God's Word really says. So again, we're thankful that we can teach God's Word through these podcasts everywhere the Internet is available. We're thankful for you being there and your desire to learn more from the scriptures of the Bible. And we're thankful that we're here and have the means and the ability and the opportunity to be able to teach you through this medium. We encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. You may help somebody grow in their faith Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So you're sharing these short studies from God's word with people in your life that may help them grow in their faith, come closer to God, ultimately get to heaven. Also tell everybody to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on the podcast button, sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive on their smart device, whether that's their phone or computer or whatever device they choose, they will automatically receive a Sunday morning Bible class, a Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons a Monday through Friday daily radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a short Bible study, usually about 13 or 14 minutes, but seven days a week that we call today's Bible class. And that keeps us in God's Word every day. And again, that's crucial for our faith and our spiritual life. So tell everybody you can and take advantage of it yourself. We're going to get back into our study from the gospel account according to John. We stopped about, oh, about halfway through the 10th chapter last time, and this is an incredibly rich chapter. Uh, This is one that really, it it really ought to cause us to stop and, and really contemplate how precious what God has done for us through Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for us by coming into this world in human form and bringing the gospel message of salvation, and ultimately dying on that cross on purpose for the the sake of being the the perfect one-time-for-all-time Savior and sacrifice for the guilt of our sins. He died for you, and he died for me. When you think about all those people, the the, the thieves who were hanging on the cross on each side of him, the crowd of people who were at the foot of the cross watching what was going on, and some of them ridiculing Jesus and maybe emotionally tormenting him, or at least trying to, those Roman soldiers who were in charge of the crucifixion, the only one who did not deserve to be on one of those crosses was Jesus, the one who was on that center-placed cross. He was sinless, He's God the Son. He's the Savior, the Messiah come to earth. But he took that center stage on that cross because God the Father sent him to be the perfect sacrifice for you and me and all of mankind until Jesus comes again in the final day of judgment. Now, this 10th chapter talks about Jesus being the true shepherd. And so the first few verses, verses one through six, we we saw how this is kind of posing a, an, an imagery here. And we're talking about, it's really the first metaphor, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now Jesus came to be the chief shepherd of those who would follow him, of all of those who would follow him for all time until he comes again, again in that final day of judgment. So he, Jesus lays out this, this image, and he uses it by way of illustration to talk about how he is the true shepherd, and that anybody who wants to come into his sheepfold must come through him. Now, somebody might try, and and so he's using a real-life scenario in the culture and area of his day where shepherds would frequently bring their flocks into a town or village and there would be a sheepfold there. Now, we might liken it to a corral in our culture today, but it would be a place where the shepherd could come and bring his flock of sheep and put it under the charge of the gatekeeper, basically. And then the shepherd could go and have a meal, maybe get a room in an inn someplace or lodging someplace. But anyway, then he would come back in the morning of the next day or when he was re- whenever he was ready to take his flock back out into pasture, and he'd pick up that flock. But he'd have to go in through the gatekeeper and in through the door to the fold. Well, Jesus is saying, now there are some who might be thieves and robbers who might try to climb over the fence, so to speak but he says those are not the true shepherds. And so the the gatekeeper would know who the true shepherds were. And then that shepherd, he would call his sheep and his sheep even though it might his flock might be mixed with another flock or two or three, he would call his sheep and they would know his his unique voice, his unique call to them and only his sheep would separate from the fold. Now, So they'd come out, and they'd be with him. Jesus is the shepherd, the true shepherd, the ultimate good shepherd, if you would. Now, beginning with verse 7, Jesus went on, and he said, Most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, that's interesting. That's interesting. So first, he likens himself, and the first metaphor was back in verse 2 when he talks about Uh, he who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then here in verse seven, he says, I'm the door of the sheep. How do we get into the, who are the sheep first? All of those who would truly follow him faithfully and obediently. We would boil that down today and we'd say, it's the church that Jesus established upon this earth. Now, again, a church is not a church building. That's simply a facility in which the church meets the church is the people. Somebody has said it's the people, not the steeple. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good description and distinction. So he says, I'm the door of the sheep. When you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, on Pentecost, after the apostles, well, actually, actually verse 47 is after Pentecost. Most of chapter 2 is set on Pentecost. And so the apostles are teaching this massive group of Jewish men. Now, how how massive was it? We don't know. About 3,000 ended up being baptized that day, following the teaching of the apostles, and, and particularly the sermon, the gospel sermon, that Peter preached on that day. So about 3,000 were baptized, became Christians that day. But that was probably a small, you know, a... a minority, at least we would say, of of the total number that was there that day. Because most Jews rejected Jesus. Most Jews rejected Christianity and the church. So then after those 3,000 had been baptized, then it talks about the very, very early days of the new church in its existence and how they would come together and they would they would be in fellowship, they would partake of the Lord's Supper. They would be there in prayers and follow the apostles' teaching and so on. And and then in verse 47, the last verse in that chapter, chapter 2, the book of Acts, it says the, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, those who were being baptized into him for the remission of their sins, going back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. So Acts, 20, Acts 2 and verse 47 the Lord adds those who come to salvation to his church. There's no voting in or voting out that is ever mentioned or even suggested remotely in the New Testament scriptures pertaining to who is a candidate to be a member of the Lord's church. You never see that. You don't see the apostles voting people in or out. You don't see any of the uh, the early New Testament Christians who might have been out there preaching and teaching, there's nothing about that. When you look at the various churches, the letters of Paul written to the church at Corinth, uh, the Christians at Rome, the the churches of Galatia, the church at Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, you never see anywhere where he even begins to remotely allude to voting people in or voting people out of the church. The Lord does the adding. When a person is baptized into Christ, what does is, what is Acts 2 and verse 38 say? It's for the remission of his sins. Acts 22 and verse 16, to wash away his sins. What, does, what did Jesus say in Mark 16 and 16? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. What does the Apostle Paul write in Romans 6 and verse 3, and also Galatians 3 and verse 27? We're baptized into Christ. Okay, that's what, that's how we come into Christ. That's how we come to forgiveness of our sins. That's how we come to salvation in Christ. We're baptized into him. He does the adding. He's the one who adds us to the church, and so When the church of our Lord, the true church, church that belongs to Christ, the church he established upon this earth, the church that came into existence on Pentecost, when a person is baptized into Christ properly, that is, by full immersion, and for the purpose of having their sins forgiven by the blood Jesus shed on the cross, coming to salvation in him, being baptized into him where is found salvation— the church, they accept that person as a full-fledged Christian, a brand new Christian born again. And they, they understand and they accept with confidence that the Lord adds that person to the church, has already done so by virtue of his being baptized for the right reason and in the right way. Now, so Jesus is the door of the sheep. There's no way to come to God except through Jesus, John 14 and verse 6. There is salvation in no other, only in Jesus or through Jesus, Acts 4 and verse 12. And so there's the second metaphor. He says, I am the door of the sheep. The only way we can come to salvation, into salvation, is we must come into Christ. And we must come into Christ his way. And no matter what, how many denominations deny that baptism is the only way into Christ. That is exactly what the Scriptures say, baptized into Christ. And those two verses of Scripture, Romans 6, 3 and Galatians 3, 27, are the only verses of Scripture in the entire New Testament that have the phrase, into Christ, preceded by the means of coming into Christ. And both of them say, baptized into Christ. Then he comes back in verse 11, and he comes back and he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, that would be pretty much parallel to verse 2 of chapter 10, when he says, the shepherd of the sheep. But here he identifies himself specifically as that shepherd, when he says, I am the good shepherd. So there's a metaphor again. We noted also in verse 14, he calls himself or refers to himself when he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, we closed in the last few verses, well, it's the last few verses, verses 16, 17, and 18, we, we closed with Jesus foretelling about other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Now we need to understand that Jesus came specifically and primarily during his ministry upon this earth to bring the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation to the Jewish people. He was born of a Jewish family. He lived and died by the Old Testament law of Moses. And so he lived and died as a practicing Jewish person, Jewish man. Now, the Jews were the ones who had the Old Testament prophecies. They were the ones God had raised up through the bloodline of Abraham over hundreds and hundreds of years to be the people of God through whom the savior would come into the world and so they were the ones to whom jesus came he came announcing i'm the savior i'm the messiah come to earth i am god the son unfortunately and 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 all along the way as he was as he was identifying himself as such he kept fulfilling the old testament prophecies and there was no way that he could have done that by trickery now somebody might come along and and they think up a way that they could make themselves look like they're fulfilling a particular prophecy maybe even two or three but there was no way that he could have he could have fulfilled the multitude of old testament prophecies about the coming savior by trickery he did not have control over a number of the situations through which he fulfilled old testament prophecy about the coming savior so In verse 16, what he's referring to this other group of sheep, I have which are not of this fold, this fold he's talking about as the Jewish people in a general way. But he says there are other sheep that are not of this fold. He goes on and says, them also I must bring. So he's going to bring this other, if you want to think of it in a way, as another flock of sheep into his fold, and they'll become a part of his flock. He's talking about the Gentiles there. Now, the Jewish, even the Jewish Christians, many of them had a really difficult time accepting God's will, and here Jesus is foretelling God's will, that the Gentiles should become equal with the Jews as they become Christians, with those Jewish Christians, those Jews who would become Christians. So he says, "This other, this the, these other sheep, I'm going to bring them into the fold. The Gentiles, the the, the 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 New Testament Christianity was always meant by God for everybody, Jews and Gentiles. But now he prepared the Jewish people through the Old Testament writings and prophecies for the coming Savior." and they should have been the most receptive. They should have been looking for the Savior to come, and they should have been the ones who became the springboard, so to speak, from which the gospel or through which the gospel could be spread to all of the people all over the world, all of the Gentiles. But first, the vast majority of the Jews rejected Jesus. And second, A great many of the Jews who became Christians came to follow Jesus. They had a hard time accepting the Gentiles. But ultimately, New Testament Christianity spread to the Gentile peoples as well. So Jesus is foretelling here in verse 16, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. They're not of Israel. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. And the Apostle Paul goes into some detail talking about how Jesus broke down the partition or the barrier between the Jew and the Gentile as he brought New Testament Christianity to this earth. Now, let's pick up with verse 19. Therefore there was division again among the Jews because of these sayings. Many of them said, He has a demon and is mad why do you listen to him? Well, Jesus continually had his detractors, his opponents, so to speak, those who simply refused to believe in him. And so, you know, here they are, they're, they're trying to influence some of the crowd who are listening to Jesus receptively, and they're saying, he's mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, there are no, there, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of of the blind? Now, remember back in chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who had been blind from birth, healed him miraculously. And so many of these people, they were either there or they heard about it, and they said, hey, can a demon? You say he's mad? You say he has a demon? Can a demon heal a blind man? And why would a demon do that? Why would a demon speak against you know work work a work that would be against itself? Verse twenty-two. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, "How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly." <laughs> He's already told them plainly. He's already identified himself, declared himself to be the Christ, which is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, repeatedly. And the works and the miracles and the signs that he performed repeatedly identified him as such. And so this is rather hypocritical at this point. If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Now, again, Jesus simply responded in a straightforward way. I have already told you I'm the Christ. You don't believe. But even if you don't believe me, he's using some logical reasoning here, the works that I do identify me as being the Christ. How can I do these things? If I were not the Christ, if I were not from God, but you don't you still don't believe me. And and why? You don't even believe the works that I do. You deny them. And so why? Why do you deny me? Because you're not of my flock. Interesting. Interesting. You're not one of my sheep, as I said to you. Now here he comes back to identifying himself as the good shepherd. And his true followers as being the sheep of his flock, and that's not a demeaning kind of of imagery or identification at all. Remember the the culture of that day in that part of the world, the shepherd and the sheep were close. The shepherd knew every one of his sheep, and they knew him by his special word, by a special voice, a special call to them. If one of them was sick, the shepherd took care of him. There was kind of a family relationship there. Jesus said, you don't believe me because you're not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, never uh, and neither shall any anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he says, I and my I and my Father are one. Now, this does not mean, and some people, they, they take a few verses of Scripture, and they've come up with a doctrine of predestination. Now, what that means is, they believe that God has predestined certain individuals to be saved. Now, if that's the case, what's the logical follow-up question to that? It is, then do you mean God has predestined others to be lost? Well, of course not. That, that makes no sense. Why would he send Jesus into the world as the Savior if he had already predestined certain individuals to be saved and others to be lost? What did Jesus say in Matthew 11, verse 28? Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And verse 29, Take my yoke and learn uh, take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus calls all people to him. When he told the apostle on the day he ascended back to heaven after his resurrection from the tomb, he told them to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized, he who believes and is baptized, who responds in that step of obedience, will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. As Matthew, that's Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, as Matthew recorded that great commission, he, he said, go therefore, and this is Jesus speaking, Matthew, uh, Matthew putting down the words, you know, in, in his own record there, Jesus told the apostles, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, as Luke recorded the Great Commission, Jesus said, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Luke 24 and verse 47. God is, and and the scriptures tell us repeatedly, God is not a respecter of persons, or boiled down that means God is not prejudice. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus died for everyone on that cross. And so he's saying, look, you know, Jews, Gentiles, everyone, everybody will follow me. But he's telling these these Jewish critics, but you don't believe me. Even when I did the miracle, I have done the miracles, even when I've shown you the signs and the wonders, you still don't believe. You don't believe because you're not my follower. You're not of my sheep. Not that you could not become one of my followers, but that you simply have refused to be. My sheep hear my voice. Those who, those who are ready to come to me, those who are receptive to the gospel message of salvation that I brought from heaven, they hear my voice. They follow me, just like real, literal sheep hear the voice of their real, literal shepherd. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. He's not talking about physical eternal life. He's talking about spiritual eternal life. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand because my Father has given them to me. Now, again, not that God picked different ones out of the crowd, but he's given them the gospel, and the gospel message is for all who will accept it and obey it. And then Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Now, why? Why? Why did they become so incensed at that particular point in the whole discourse? Because Jesus said, I and my Father are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is putting himself right there in that circle of deity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. The Jews took up stones to stone him, and Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which, for which of those works do you stone me? Now, he probably could have specified at that point. Do you remember when I healed that leper back there? Do you remember when I healed that blind man? Do you remember when there were different ones who came to me with different infirmities and I healed them instantly? Do you, remember the, do you remember the other miracles that i perfor, performed, all the signs and the wonders? Uh, were they good works? Were they, they good deeds? For which of those are you about to stone me, or do you want to stone me? Well, then verse 33, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Then Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. Hmm, Lowercase g. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say to him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? Jesus came simply simply, uh, you know, announcing himself and proclaiming himself by the identity as being the son of God. Now, somebody might say, well, what does he mean if he called them gods? It goes back to Psalm 82 in verse 6. And and again, it's lowercase g. It's not talking about deity. And the text there was talking about judges and civil authorities. Now, Jesus said, "If I if if I proclaim myself, I having been sent by God the Father, I who is there in the beginning and taking part in the creation, if I proclaim myself to be God, why are you saying I'm blaspheming?" He's using some again comparative language here. In verse 37, if I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. Do not believe me. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, do not believe me. If I'm saying I'm God the Son and and I'm capable of performing supernatural works of miracles and signs and wonders and so on, but I can't do those, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So he comes to this point of logic. All right, if I claim to be the Son of God, if I claim to be the Messiah, the Savior, but I can't do the works, but I can't perform the miracles, then don't believe me. But if I do the works, and he's already said, I've shown you signs, I've shown you miracles, you still don't believe. If I really do those things, then believe me, for the works' sake, they demonstrate, they prove I am who I claim to be. In verse 39, therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this this man, about Jesus, were true. And many believed him there. You see, truth is truth, whether anybody likes it or not, whether anybody believes it or not. It's still truth. Truth is not not a matter of popularity, of popular vote. It's truth. Everybody can reject it. That does not change the fact that it's truth. And so Jesus is trying to get this point across to his critics, to his detractors to his enemies you can deny me but i've not just said something shallowly i've demonstrated that i am who i said i am and if you don't want to believe me just on my statements then you ought to believe me because I backed up my statements by doing miracles and signs and wonders that I could not do if I were not who I say I am. And a whole lot of people in the world need to understand that point of truth. Many who do not believe in Jesus. We'll pick up with chapter 11 next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the glorious, all-powerful, and all-loving God. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, into this world as our Savior. Thank you for loving us that much, Father. And thank you for sending him with the gospel message of forgiveness and redemption and salvation through him help people open their eyes and come to him to fulfill for each one of them personally the purpose of that message through their obedience, Father. We pray for souls. We pray for our souls. Please forgive us and hear a prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.